Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare. Welcome to Second Day a Health Impact audience. Uh, we've got a jam-packed first session for you guys talking about a really, really important topic, and that is chronic care management. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about technology in chronic care, but there aren't a lot of people pulling this off in safety net environments and doing it in a way that uh, our friends at WellDoc, uh, you know, ha- have been doing with evidence and proof with tools and technologies that have FDA approval. So there are a lot of tools and technologies that are out there that have not gone through the clearance process. But uh, I know that Keith and the team, especially at WellDoc, have thought that that was very, very important. And that is getting evidence from the community and from uh, actual users before taking it out uh, into the world. This is going to be a really informal fireside chat uh, with uh, Karen and Keith. Uh, Karen comes from the New York City uh, Health and uh, Hospital System. And as many of you know, big city. But you may not be aware that an enormous amount of uh, the safety net goes for New York City Safety Net Health goes through that system. So with that, I just love, uh, Karen, uh, introduce yourself. We'll do the same thing with Keith, and then I'll pop in some questions. Go for it, Karen. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm really thrilled to be here today to share our experiences at Health and Hospitals with the WellDoc app, Blue Star. Um, my name is Karen Singer. I'm an internist by training and preventive medicine trained, and I have been at Health and Hospitals after residency training. I went back And I've been back for about six years and currently almost a year in my role, which is the AVP of chronic disease and prevention, which helps to oversee chronic disease and prevention initiatives. And we run the data for the system specifically around diabetes, hypertension, obesity, smoking cessation. And we're now expanding into several new arms as well. Yeah, that's great. And welcome, Karen. I think that uh, from from the audience's perspective, as you listen to what Karen is talking about, these aren't blue sky ideas. This is stuff that they're doing today. And so hopefully these kind of will create some questions in your mind or you want to get some follow up. uh, She'll be open to do that as well. Uh, Keith, tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Great. Good afternoon, uh, Shahid, and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being here. Karen, thank you for presenting along with us and having this fireside chat. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, my name is Keith Reynolds, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at WellDoc. I've been uh, here a little over a year, but I've spent over 26 years in the healthcare industry. Perfect. Uh, so let's start off uh, a little bit. Uh, Karen, tell us about the NYCHH. We'll just call it HH here uh, going forward. What is the diabetes program? Why did you guys entertain even looking at something like uh, Blue Star? Sure. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take a step back if that's okay first, just to tell you a little bit about our system, because you're absolutely right. We're a huge city. We are the largest municipal safety net system in the country. We serve over a million unique patients every year in our system across the five boroughs. We have 11 hospitals and 70 community clinics and larger diagnostic and treatment centers. And our patients are really very diverse from all all parts of the world, all walks of life. And it's really a pleasure working at health and hospitals. In terms of diabetes, for the patients who are engaged in primary care, we currently have about 66,000 patients in our registry, which is across that system. 
66,000 patients with diagnosed diabetes who are 18 to 75 years old. So it's, it's quite a large number. Um, and of that number, I can tell you that 65% are in control, meaning an A1C less than 8%. That's our cutoff. Of the remainder who are not in control, a little bit more than half have an A1C greater than 9. The remainder either have an A1C between 8 and 9 or haven't had a measurement on record in the past year, which through COVID was a much larger number. And then we were able to really get people in and bring it down as people felt more comfortable riding public transportation and coming into their hospital and, and clinic to get their blood work done. So why do we want to do a diabetes program? Because we have of 66,000, if you take a third, we've got a, a little over 20,000 patients who are uncontrolled, and about half of those have an A1C greater than nine. So we've got a, a good amount of patients, 10 to 11,000, who really um, we want to focus on in terms of outreaching and really help them to get their diabetes under control. And there's a number of ways to do that, but we've had experience in the past with a text-based messaging initiative. Actually, it's been going on for nine years um, at health and hospitals, and it's been incredibly successful. It's specifically for insulin titration, so it's much more focused. But 88% of our patients reach their goal, which is their optimal insulin dose. And patients feel we've had, a, over the years, many, many, many patients give feedback. And we've done studies on it. They feel much more connected to the healthcare system and to their clinical teams. And that engagement really helps them reach that goal. So we were really looking for other digital interventions that could help folks get to their goal when they're not within the four walls of the clinic which is 20 minutes every three months or so. So that's that was a long answer, but I, I don't know if that answered it in a big picture. Oh, no, that was perfect. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what is special about the safety net part of your health and hospitals that might be different than other groups might be doing in other areas. So what is unique or specific to, to your challenges? Sure. So I think there are some things that are similar to all safety net hospitals, right? We have about... 25 to 30% of our patients don't have insurance. And at our most recent check, about 44% have Medicaid. And then the remainder have Medicare or are dual eligible. So a large percent of our patients are uninsured or publicly insured. There's a whole slew of things. So again, there's a very big range within our population of resources. So socioeconomic status, insurance status, as I just mentioned, health literacy. Um, some of our patients have very, very high health literacy. Some may have come from another country and were doctors or nurses there themselves and some or other healthcare professionals. Um, and some have very low health literacy. Some of our patients don't aren't literate, um, not just health literate, but literate. So we have a wide variety. The other thing I can say is as we span the five boroughs, we have multiple languages as a first language. So I just, I can tell you, I literally just put in an order three days ago for a very large order for brochures and handouts for our patients for 14 different languages. Far and away, English and Spanish are the top two, like on an order of tenfold. But we definitely have you know, 13 other languages that are regularly spoken at our different facilities. And it depends on the different specific pocket. But um, I think that those are some of the things. And along with that, in terms of technology, some of our patients uh, have smartphones and have regularly utilized apps. And some of our patients don't. Um, some of our patients may have plans that last all month and some may not. Some may have a smartphone, but have a difficult time you know, utilizing the apps that are on it. I think that that's true of large portions of the population, but that's definitely the case uh, for our population. So you kind of have to suss out who may be able to engage in this. But in my experience, it's growing more and more every day. 
No, I love the fact that you didn't have all the answers, but you're saying this is worth doing anyway, right? And so you got to get it started. You have to know in order to get things started, you're going to learn things throughout the process. And that's why, you know, having a a great partner like uh, WellDoc allows you to adapt as you need to. But tell us a little bit about, Karen, did you start this as a experiment and weren't sure where you wanted to go? Or did you have some objectives or outcomes or specific things that you wanted to accomplish? Where did you fit in that uh, spectrum? Sure. So we definitely had some specific metrics, um, some specific things we wanted to hit. I mean, number one was to help our patients, you know, lower their A1C. But I mean, you can just say that, but what does that mean? So help people know what are their sugars so that they're tracking them in a way that they can look in a systematic way. Oh, every morning my sugars look like this, but if I check it after dinner or after lunch, you know, can I look at it in a way that makes sense where I'm not just writing it in a straight line on a piece of paper? Can I get feedback? pretty immediately. You know, when you write your glucose number on a piece of paper, you're not getting any kind of immediate feedback, but WellDoc does that. And uh, medication adherence. So if you choose as a patient to put your medications into the app, uh, the app can remind you when to take your medications, which is also huge. Those are some of the things. I think there are other tips, like if your sugar is high, the app may say, that's a little high. Maybe you should go for a walk around the block or if it's low. So you, you get that kind of immediate feedback of, oh, I, I thought this was a good number. Um, maybe I was wrong. So I should lower it more. And we've actually gotten that direct feedback from patients. That sounds great. And, you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of diabetics, especially the ones that are uh, that are, are recently uh, became diabetic, they went from pre to post-diabetic, they often ask, uh, why is my number the way that it is? How, how are you able to work with WellDoc and, uh, and your patients to try to help them understand that it is either their time of day or the activity or, or lack of activity or food? How do you get the whys answered for the patients? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question because we have these two measurements. There's one that's, it's not static, but it's an average. And then there's one that goes up and down every day. And even just figuring out what does this mean? What do these two numbers mean together? Like the A1C and the glucose can be a little confusing. Um, and it's just not straightforward at first. So the app, what it helps to do is as you put in your finger stick, it, it will give you direct feedback and will tell you, okay, I can see that it's high after I've eaten something. So even though it's completely normal, I, you know, I tell my doctor every day, I check it in the morning and it's perfectly fine. It's a hundred, you know, it's a hundred when I wake up or or maybe it's 160 and you thought that was fine, but this will tell you it's not. So there's various ways that it can be fine in the morning. You know, if you're checking postprandial finger sticks, it will give you immediate feedback about that. Or there's lots of scenarios in which you can find your pattern about when your glucose goes high and it will help you to, to understand that pattern. And then hopefully bring that down by changing your diet or taking your medication or speaking with your doctor about it or doing exercise, which is a big one. (laughs) That's uh, super critical that our our patients with diabetes are doing exercise when they can. So all of those things, the app encourages patients to do. No, I love it. And in fact, right before I bring in Keith, uh, can you comment a little bit about whether any of the patients that you're working with are on a continuous glucose monitor CGM? And what does the future of that tech look like from, from your perspective as a practitioner? So some of our patients are on CGM. Most of them are not on CGM because right now there's kind of stricter uh, coverage uh, questions or parameters around CGM, but definitely every day, more and more of our patients, my patient just got a Dexcom the other day. And I think, uh, and Libre, I mean, those are the two that, uh, that of course that we're seeing, but I think that those are 
they're helping to supplement patients who are using the app for more than the glucose. Because again, what the app does is it will give direct feedback and will help you with medications and understanding. Like it can integrate the glucose readings with feedback. But what does that look like? I mean, there's more and more evidence coming out every day that CGMs are useful in broader and broader scenarios. So I have a feeling that we'll continue to see more CGMs, uh, I hope. Yeah, no, and that's great. The reason why I ask that is that uh, uh, there are some digital health programs that say, well, this is not worth doing until you get a CGM. I mean, you're clearly oh, saying, no, no. wait for the CGM. Start now, get it going, and 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 it's going to be helpful immediately. No, no, no. The minority of our patients, who are, the minority of the minority of our patients overall who have diabetes are on CGMs, mm-hmm. and it, it can supplement with with Blue Star. But no, the majority of our patients who are on Blue Star do not have CGMs, and it's useful, very useful for them. So no, it's not a prerequisite. And in fact, the CGM, you know, if it's tracking the glucose, people may not realize the value add of the app, but there is value out of the app and the feedback and the other components. So it's putting those together. So I think either way they can synergize, but uh, without CGM, it's, that's what it was built. You know, it was built for patients without CGM as well. So it's definitely helpful. Excellent. Uh, so, Keith, tell us now. So, you guys have been doing this for a long time, and, and you know, I've been an admirer from far. I know you guys uh, for a number of years uh, because you're driven by evidence and you're driven by, to pardon the expression, shit that works, right? I mean, it's not just stuff that's out there. Let's give that's this a try and see what term. happens. No, you had to go through things that work. So, when Karen and the team came to you from health and hospitals with their outcome requirements, with their needs, was that par for the course for you guys? Was there anything special about those outcomes? How would you uh, treat that request from Karen and team? Yeah, I think generally we were really excited about uh, the opportunity here. Um, if you think about everything that Dr. Singer just said, the complexity of their population, the diverse needs that they have, uh, some of the challenges that uh, are posed uh, to that community, uh, we thought it was a terrific opportunity to really test out our technology in the most difficult population to reach and see what type of results that we could generate. And it's been really uh, exciting to see that um, and the impact that we've been able to have on individuals. A couple of things that Dr. Singer uh, said that kind of jumped out at me, said in the beginning, 20 uh, individuals spend about 20 minutes with their physician on about a quarterly basis. It's roughly about an hour a year that they spend with their doctor. Think about how long people are on their smartphone. In general, it's about 80,000 minutes a year, which equates to about four hours a day. If we can carve out a little bit of time to help an individual manage their healthcare and lower their A1C, that's a a huge success. And that's kind of how we look at that. How do we fit into the life flow, if you will, of the individuals using our solution? So if they're in checking their bank account or they're using it for navigation, they are going to be in that uh, on that phone using it for their healthcare as well. We're starting to see really healthcare and the smartphone merge together in a, a really elegant fashion. Yeah, I know. So what's what I love about Blue Star, and one of the reasons you guys obviously gave that name is sort of like a GPS is sort of when if like if you need help, uh, you can press the uh, OnStar button and get your uh, help. So what what what's interesting about your solution is that it does similar to GPS in the sense that it calls you when necessary, rather than you having to just watch you know every turn direction, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's what you mean is that they're already on their phone, they're already doing these things. If you can get them to be intervention 
they don't have to think about the intervention, but the intervention or the nudging is happening in some routine way uh, that that is actually ideal. So when you when you heard the requirement from health and hospitals, uh, the way that it was, what what was it that you liked about uh, the way that they wanted to implement this? Was it more or less difficult for you guys to get started uh, now that you've been doing this for a while? How, what does that deployment process look like? Well, um to answer your question, about, again, what got us excited about it? One, the population that we were uh, seeking out to serve, but then the integration with the delivery system was really exciting. If you think about it, we don't want digital health to live in isolation. We want to be able to support that patient when they're not in the office. We want to be able to help them understand the complexity of their condition and how to manage that and live a healthier life. And that's all the things that Dr. Singer mentioned. But the real opportunity here then is taking all that rich data that we have out of our application and integrating it back into the delivery system so that the care team or the healthcare provider has actionable insights. They can actually see what is going on with that patient. How are they doing with their diet, their exercise? How are they doing with their medication adherence? All the things that go into managing one's care now are exposed to the healthcare provider where maybe before the patient would come in they would answer a couple of questions, tell the provider, yeah, I'm doing great. But when they go to get their A1C results, it's, it's showing less than that. So really arming the providers with that actionable information, that was really uh, an interesting part of this overall project and in, in being integrated into the healthcare ecosystem. No, that's great. And, and when you think about safety net side, I mean, obviously, when, uh, when we think of digital health, we always think of phones and we always think of the fact that, uh, you know, obviously, if you have a phone, you have a data plan, et cetera. So talk a little bit about what happens when if you don't have a data plan, if you don't have all of the heavy phone requirements, is WellDoc uh, uh, useless or is it still useful even without all of that? Yeah, I would say it, it is not useless. Um, one, application works both online and offline. So if somebody doesn't have a data plan or they ran out of data and they connect to Wi-Fi, the application still provides that real-time coaching and feedback. And then it syncs up when that individual is within a Wi-Fi range. In addition, if somebody doesn't have a smartphone, but they do have access to a computer, we have a web-based portal that individuals uh, can utilize. And it is the same experience that one would get within our mobile application. So we are trying to make sure we meet that member where they are, that patient where they are, and provide them with accessibility via a web portal or in that mobile application to be used on or offline. Perfect. And so, Karen, um, if we talk brass tacks here, what we're saying is, you know, in the last, if you think about this 10 or 15 years ago, there were these questions about, should we do digital health? And is any of this going to be, that's all gone, right? We know that this stuff is all useful. So the brass tacks come uh, really in terms of integration, implementation, deployment. What, what did that look like for you guys? Uh, talk to us about timing. Talk to us about, was it easy to start with the deployment process? What did the what was the integration that you had to work on? Talk about the hard stuff uh, because it can't be all that easy. Right. So we actually did a pilot study first at two of our sites with about 300 patients. And this was pre-COVID. So this was 2018 or so. Um, and basically what we did then was we set up champions at each of the sites and we had regular calls. I mean, first initially starting, we're following the same model for phase two, by the way, because it worked so well in phase one. So we... We spoke to the leadership um, at each of those hospitals and they chose champions who would be real advocates for patients who know 
you know, who can pick out the types of patients who may benefit from this, both based on their A1C, but also based on their technology savvy um, or their owning of a smartphone and being able to have an app. Just, um, could you and, add on the personality profile? Who is this champion? Is it a nurse? Is it some administrator? What, what? Who are these champions? So we leave that to the facilities because each facility has very different resource breakdowns, but it can look very different at each facility. So currently, we, we now have clinical pharmacists at each of our 11 acute hospital sites. In 2018, we didn't have them fully across the board. So right now, clinical pharmacists are some of those champions, nurses for sure. We have population health teams at some of our sites. So, and it could be a provider who's also helping to lead the charge, but it's not usually a provider who's getting folks to sign up for the app. Um, although I've, I've signed p- patients of mine up for the app and it, it takes two seconds. <laughs> if you have a patient who's technologically savvy, it, you just give them the QR code. Well, I, I can get into that in a minute because actually it's quite easy to sign somebody up for the app if they're familiar with technology. But initially, when we did the pilot, we really worked with the sites to help them develop their processes and workflows. And although we had overall kind of standard suggestions, and I'd say we, it was really Blue Star based on their experience with other sites, uh, we also have to mold that to each site because their resources may be different. One of the things that we're finding, and so in the pilot, we had 300 patients enrolled, um, and we saw an average A1C reduction of over 1%, which is great because that's clinically relevant. Now we're actually have expanded to actually seven sites. So five hospitals and then seven diagnostic and treatment centers, clinics. And what we're finding is each of the teams looks so different at each site. I mean, there's one location where 10 people show up to every meeting. (laughs) It's a, I mean, they're really owning this. They're really excited about it, but the resources are different across the system and time allocation can't always be that. Uh, that site actually is interesting because their internet connection sometimes is difficult. Sometimes is difficult, so to actually get the patient to download the app while they're on site has been a little bit of a challenge that we found. But in terms of building that, I mean, it's that hasn't really honestly changed from past, other than the webinars rather than in-person meetings. Mm-hmm. We just really we've got weekly meetings. We meet with the champions. We hear what's going on at their sites. We hear barriers. We try to, you know stamp out the barriers. We get them whatever materials they need. And again, when I say we, it's our team, but also Blue Star. Blue Star has been an amazing uh, partner in this. They've turned things around very quickly. And so we've really been able to troubleshoot a lot of those issues, things that didn't come up necessarily in the pilot because new things come up. The other thing that I'll say is the other thing that's new since the pilot is my chart. So in 2018, we were starting the role to Epic across our system. And in December 2019, we completed the role, meaning all facilities and all 70 clinics are now on Epic. And so we have a patient portal, my chart, which I'm sure you're familiar with. There's a secondary, um, not secondary, but a different initiative to try to get more and more folks signed up to my chart. And as we've been able to do that, we actually realized that even via telehealth, we can send patients a link through the portal, if I discuss with my patient, look, this is an app that I think would be really helpful for you. Are you interested? Can I send you the link? They said, yeah. Uh, And I've done that. And I've enrolled patients and they downloaded the app. I can see on the portal, they downloaded the app and they're using it. So it's uh, that's a brand new methodology for rolling, enrolling patients, which has been quite helpful. Yeah. I think I don't know if that answered your question. It did. No, that was perfect. I think really the difficult part is, and Keith, you know, this from the software side is we want to stamp out variation. Karen kept saying there, each site is different. There's unique people, you know, people are in healthcare. That's what makes healthcare so unique is it is the people at each site. 
what what about that variation variability troubled you if at all or you guys able to handle that level of difference between sites and other places yeah i think um one we have uh, a standardized solution that everybody's using and that has gone through fda clearance so we didn't have to necessarily change the uh, solution to meet individual needs because the, the solution is very flexible in itself and it's also available in spanish which was really important for this population but what I would say is, as far as the implementation and looking to gain awareness and activation within the platform is you have to approach this as a true partnership and understand that uh, the assets that you have available and how best to utilize those assets in order to uh, drive activation and engagement in the platform. So in health and hospitals situation, they have physical assets, they have great care teams, healthcare professionals, that could actually educate the patient on the use of the application. So identifying champions was a huge win. They're trusted advisors of the patient. And then how do you look at utilizing other modes of communication as well to be able to meet the patient where they are? So uh, my chart and sending links, that's a, a great example. Using text messages, uh, think about uh, emails, even direct mail and outbound phone calls. You have to really uh, be able to use multiple modes of communication to be able to be successful in, in driving that activation. I like to say there's no real silver bullet in order to drive that experience. You have to, to uh, utilize and run really essentially a campaign against it over time to maximize your results. Yeah, what I was thrilled to hear, Keith, is that uh, you know the, that uh, Karen and team are mentioning they have about fifty percent uh, uh, user engagement. That's a much higher number than is uh, usual. You've uh, she's already seen uh, some early su- success signals come from this. So, Karen, you can talk a little bit about the early uh, success signals, but maybe what I want to do in the last few minutes that we have is talk to the audience about what you learned through this process about what worked really well on your way in, what you thought worked about as well as you wanted to, what you thought did not work at all, like you had to adjust uh, quite a bit, and maybe uh, some lessons that you could share with the audience about what they shouldn't do uh, to maybe repeat some of the, and calling it failures is bad, but you know we all make mistakes or some things you didn't think would happen happened uh, during the uh, thing. So talk about what are the success signals you saw, uh, and then How would you do things differently, if at all, in the future, if you're going to run to your other sites? Sure. So I think I think the biggest takeaway is that digital technology works for our population. And that's huge. I mean, patients really the for for the patients who love it, they really love it and it's really working. But I think that that's another the next kind of step, which is you have to do the right patient selection. So what we found was that of the 50 percent of patients who weren't very engaged in the pilot, they weren't really the folks who were actively using other apps prior to enrollment. And they weren't, for, for whatever reason, I mean, I, I, I could postulate as to why, but they weren't active app users. Um, a lot of them, their first language wasn't necessarily English or Spanish, which again, is fine. But some of them were actually not proficient enough, potentially, um, in English, because we asked them afterwards. And they said I it was, you know... I couldn't understand necessarily in the app. So I think picking the right patients is really key here because they'll just take it and fly with it. I mean, I had the QR code on my desk and I said, in fact, I'm seeing her this Saturday. Her A1C was 9.6. I said, here's an app. She like just put it on her phone right then and there. And I can tell you her A1C because I took a sneak peek and it's definitely below eight now. So whether it was the app, we're going to talk about it Saturday. But 
the point is the right patient selection is really key to really utilizing this resource well. And as I said, I think that's growing more and more and more. But if someone has a good amount of hesitation or you have to download the app for them, it might not be somebody who is going to use it actively, or they might be somebody who really wants to, but needs extra training on site with the champion or with somebody on site who can like show them the ins and outs. Cause some of the other feedback that we got was, I just didn't know quite what the next step was once I opened the app, uh, even though it's very easy to use, but it just takes a little bit of training for somebody who may not be used to utilizing apps. So I think that's the big takeaway. Uh, and yeah, again, it's just patient selection, patient selection. Don't, you know, our, our patients are really thriving who are using it. We had an, over 1% A1C reduction in our 300 patients in the pilot phase. It's too early in this phase to say what the results are, but we're really excited about continuing to work with Blue Star and, and seeing how it goes. Yeah, that's great. And in the last minute, uh, Karen, just maybe you want to add, and Keith, if there's anything you want to add with this statement that you're never going to get 100% of all patients to do anything, doesn't matter what it is, but a 50% uh, uh, number, engagement rate 40% engagement, 60 is perfectly reasonable. So don't try to create a program which is looking for 100% success because that doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. So in the last minute, just give a little bit of a commentary around that idea. Start and it's okay to not hit 100%. Is that all right? Um, I mean, yeah. oh, go ahead, Dr. Singer. I would say, sure, it's okay. Like you're, you're never going to hit 100%. I agree with you, but we could do better than 50 if we choose the right patients. We have over 10,000 patients in our system who have who have A1C greater than nine and another 10,000 greater than eight. So, I think we could do we could do better than 50% in the next iteration. Um, but yeah, somewhere in the middle. I love it, Keith. Last word. Yeah, I would uh, say you want to set your expectations high and always shoot for that 100%. Um, however. Uh, if you can impact a small portion of a diabetic population, there is a significant ROI that is achieved by uh, managing your condition appropriately. So I agree with you. Can't uh, uh, not do something because it doesn't hit 100% of the population um, because of the benefits that it has for everybody using the solution. Um, but you always want to shoot as high as you can. And, and Dr. Singer, I agree with you. I think we can go above 50%. All right. Fantastic. Well, this was a great uh, case study. Thank you both for uh, joining us here. And uh, I'm sure our audience will have plenty of questions for you guys afterwards. Uh, so please reach out uh, to the audience members and uh, connect with either Karen or Keith uh, about uh, what they talked to you about here. And thanks for uh, signing off Health Impact on our side. And we'll see you at the next session. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face -face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.